we're so grateful that you were here this morning. I was going to say this evening. It's hard to have a Christmas Eve service in the morning. It's good. If, if I mess up the time, then just forgive me. Give me just a little bit of grace and all that. Just so you'll know a couple of announcements. Next Sunday morning on December 31st, we will have one service, and it will be at 11. And uh, this gives us an idea of what it's going to be like to try to crowd our whole congregation that we normally have in two services into one. Uh, the good news is this is the last Christmas Eve service that we will have in this church. Next Christmas Eve, we will be in our new building, should the Lord tarry. The other part is I'm grateful as we approach the end of this year. I just want to thank you for those of you that are faithful contributors and givers to Grace Assembly. Thank you for your faithfulness this year. We have today and next Sunday, then we will be wrapping up the year and for those of you that are here and say, you know what, you don't take an offering, how do we give? Well, you can either go online and give electronically, or we have little boxes that are in the back, little black boxes that you can put your offering and put it in those, and, and we are grateful for all of that. Merry Christmas. This is the one service a year that I'm pretty sure that I can guess what colors most people are going to wear. This and Super Bowl Sunday, and I'm so grateful for this. How many of you in your families, you have a tradition of attending Christmas Eve services? Can I just see your hands? There's a tradition to it. I grew up in Nebraska. I'm a farm boy. We did not have traditional Christmas Eve services, but I married a Long Island girl. And so 40 years ago when I attended my first Christmas Eve service on Long Island, they started at 10 o'clock at night and they went till midnight. And so the tradition of that time was I recognized that the first one I went to is that by the time you get to Christmas Eve services, the family traditions, the family meals, all of those have been had, and then people come to church. So I learned the first year that there were certain families I could not sit next to if I hadn't eaten yet. One of them was Lena and Tony Camerata. I couldn't sit anywhere near them because she had been at a stove all day long, and she was making her sauce and meatballs. And if you sat anywhere near the row of the Camerata family, there was this aroma, and you're going, dear Lord, how long is he going to preach tonight? Because I'm starving. And if you didn't sit next to them, you couldn't move too far away because you would run into another family, the Timmerman family, and their tradition on Christmas Eve was that they would fry fish and shrimp. And so you would sit over near them, and you're going, oh, man, this is not a good place to sit. Your stomach might begin to growl as a result of that, and you just you could tell from the aroma of the family traditions. There was a, a man by the name of Brother Faya, Brother Sal Faya, and he was a pastry chef. You could not be near the Faya family because he would smell like Italian Christmas cookies and pies and cakes. And so the, you know, I recognize that it's, you know, we're, it's before lunch. All of this is just whetting your appetite for what is going to come. But you can just understand that there was a fragrance around the traditional Christmas Eve service. Thankful it was, you know, it was painful if you hadn't had a chance to eat yet, but most of the time we would get invited over after to somebody's house to be uh, invited to have some of the leftovers. I approach that this morning recognizing that there is an, an aroma that God allows us to have when we are together in His house. There's a fragrance of the Holy Spirit everywhere we go, and it should be in our homes and on our jobs and in our neighborhoods and on our high schools and in our universities. And, and, and when people are around us after we've been in the presence of the Lord, 
There should be a spiritual aroma that causes them to have a, a craving for what you have and creates a spiritual appetite because of the fragrance of the environment that you are in all day long. A couple of weeks ago, I got to watch as Pablo dedicated his newborn daughter, Audrey. I did not get the privilege of dedicating that baby. I love baby dedications. I had to sit here and watch because he has a father-in-law that's a pastor. There was a moment during that baby dedication where his father-in-law took Audrey in his arms, and I sat right there and I watched him because I do this all the time. And he held that baby close to his nose, and he just began to inhale because there's an essence to a baby. There's an essence to a baby. Now, I understand you wait a little longer, and there's another essence <laughs> to babies, and, and, and we don't need to go there today, but there's, there's this essence that becomes part of the joy of, of holding these children. And on this Christmas Eve, I want to welcome you to the strangest baby dedication that ever took place in history. Today, we're going to look at the purpose of Christmas and Jesus' birth through the eyes of an old man in the Bible. In Luke chapter 2, there's a story of a baby and an old man. It's the dedication of Jesus by a senior citizen by the name of Simeon. And when he takes this young baby in his arms, he says the kinds of things that would not only shock you as a parent, but it says that his parents heard this and they marveled. And I can, I can tell you that as we get into this, you're going to begin to think, for those of you who have, I've had the privilege of dedicating your babies, and, and for those of you who I have not yet had that privilege, you're going to hear these words and you're going to think, if that was you dedicating my baby, I would ask you, can I have my baby back now? I would prefer you not to say that. But Simeon was among a special group of people who had insight that God was about to send someone and do something great. So let's begin by reading the account, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 35, 25 through 35. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what he said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Lord, over these next brief few moments of this devotion, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart so that we can get a glimpse into the joy that we get to experience because Jesus has come. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to briefly see with me three things about this man, Simeon. Number one, his description. 
Number two, his proclamation. And thirdly, his prediction. Simeon, when we talk about him, what is the description that the Bible gives us of this man? We look at this and say, who is this man? Simeon is a great story because he's a man that was in the temple and he was waiting for something to happen and he was waiting for someone to show up. Somewhat like all of the kids in this service are waiting for this service to be over because they know what is coming later on. If you were to look at the the film of Christmas, the movie of Christmas, Simeon certainly wouldn't be one of the stars. In fact, let me ask all of the children that are here, whose birthday are we celebrating today? Jesus. What is Jesus' mother's name? Mary. What is Jesus' father's name? Joseph. Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. What was the kind of building that he was born in? A stable. You see, all of the kids know the story. They know all of the main characters. But I'm drawn to Simeon and his story because it captures the spirit of Christmas. The scripture tells us he was in tune with God, the presence of God. Yes, the essence of God when nobody else was. Think about this. The most important person who has ever been born, Jesus Christ came into the world and Caesar in Rome knew nothing about it. In fact, the Roman Senate, the politicians of the time were completely ignorant about it. The philosophers in Athens could care less about the birth of this baby. Even the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were too apathetic to find out who this baby was. And Herod the Great, who reigned in Judea, was too paranoid to be too concerned about it. So let's get an idea of what Simeon was like. First, on a personal note, what do you think he looked like? We are not told how old he was, and it doesn't say, but there are a couple of hints in Scripture that would lead us to believe. Number one, we can infer from Scripture that Simeon was a senior citizen. He was an old man. In fact, you'll notice in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit had indicated to him that he would not die. You're not going to get old and die before you have seen the Lord's Christ. You'll notice also in verse 29 that he prays. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, you can now let me die, God. Because what you had promised me has now been fulfilled. So we can assume from Scripture that this is an old man. Kids, if you picture in your mind what an old Jewish man, an old Jewish priest might look like, chances are he was a man with a big white beard because he's old. I don't know how much he'd eaten, but chances are he could have been somewhat portly. You begin to think about an old man with a white beard because he'd never shaved. It's Christmas time. And what white bearded old man that's overweight do you think about? Yep, wrong guy. You're probably thinking about somebody else. This old man with a white beard, Simeon, is about to discover Jesus Christ in the story. In fact, it describes him in three different verses, verses 25, 26, and 27, this way. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He was moved by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you picked it up or not, but there's a theme here as it relates to Simeon's life and relationship with God. The Holy Spirit was with him in ways that we had not seen. In fact, it is mentioned three times in conjunction with this man. Here's what's interesting about this text. And it doesn't give us the outward description of Simeon. It tells us what his heart was like. It tells us what he was like on the inside. And you know why that is? Because that's what God is more concerned about with any of us. Way more concerned about what's on the inside than what it looks like on the outside. In fact, it tells us in 1 Samuel 16, 7, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We look at that and go, okay, those are words that we don't normally use. What does that mean? Simply, he was waiting for the Messiah to come. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So day to day, picture this old Jewish rabbi walking around in the temple because every day the temple is loaded with young families that are bringing their children in to dedicate them to the Lord with sacrifices. And, and day by day, he is walking around in the temple and he's looking at all of these families and maybe mumbling to himself, is this the family God? Is this the day? This family over here, is it one of their children, Lord? And, and he's scoping it out as he wanders through the temple day by day. Every day asking, Lord, could that be the one over there? And this went on day after day. And just like any other day, he came to the temple to scope out the families that were bringing their babies. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit began to speak to him. And it redirected his focus through what could have been hundreds of families that were bringing their children. And his focus is gained on Mary and Joseph as they brought the child Jesus in. As the Scripture says, to do according to what was the custom. Here's what that means. Anytime a baby was born, there would be a period of days for a boy, 40 days, for a girl, 66 days, that was considered the time of purification. After that, the parents would come, bringing their child to the temple and a sacrifice with them. And this sacrifice was to be a burnt offering and a sin offering as they presented their child to the Lord. Now, if you look back, for those of you that love to read your Bible, to one of the least favorite books to read, which is the book of Leviticus. And I know that we're about to jump into a new Bible reading program. Genesis is great. You get to Leviticus and you're going, can we just get through this book? But there's an interesting part in Leviticus. In fact, in chapter 12, it gives instructions that Mary and Joseph were following hundreds of years later. It says that if somebody is not wealthy enough, they do not have the resources to actually purchase a lamb to bring with them for a sacrifice, then they can get by with just two young pigeons or two young turtle doves. If you're really poor, then you don't come with a lamb. You come with a pigeon. And then in verse 24, it tells us that Mary and Joseph shows up this day and they had brought with them a pair of doves or two young pigeons. I want you to figure out for just a moment of what it must have felt like for them that day 
to come into the temple. All of these families are there. Just about everybody else is bringing with them a lamb for the sacrifice because you want to make sure that your child is going to get the best. I mean, you've just mom and dad and grandma and grandpa been out buying gifts, and, and you're hopeful that you can make sure that your children have what's best. And here comes Mary and Joseph on this day, destitute, poverty-stricken, barely afford two doves. And they come walking into a tabernacle that has everybody looking at them and recognizing by the way they come and with what they bring that they don't have much. And as they walk into the temple... They had insufficient funds for the lamb, and maybe others looked down on them. Maybe some of the people looked and scoffed or raised their nose in pride, but only Simeon saw something, that while every other family brought a lamb with them, Mary and Joseph may have brought two pigeons, but they carried the lamb. They carried in their arms the Lamb. So precious was the gift that they carried in, that with doves in their hands and the Lamb of God in their arms, they walk into the temple, and most didn't even recognize Him. In fact, just about everyone ignored them. There's a group of people, including religious leaders and Pharisees and Sadducees that had all gathered around and probably hundreds of people all carrying their sacrifices that joined in this occasion. And They've all been waiting on the Messiah. They've all been waiting for the kingdom of God to be at hand. They've all been waiting for a king to ride in on a white horse and to redeem them and rescue them from the oppression of Rome. They've been looking for a hero, and the hero comes, and they don't even recognize him. They are at church, and they don't recognize the presence of God. And the reason is this, because he came in a package that nobody expected. That was not something that they would prefer. It didn't align with their expectations. And the Holy Spirit of God impressed upon Simeon's heart, he is the one. Then there comes this proclamation. I don't know how it happened, and, and I've tried to picture this in my mind because those of you that know me know that I learn by trying to picture things. And, and I wonder how awkward it was for Simeon in the middle of this crowd to be honed in by the Holy Spirit on Mary and Joseph, a poor couple that comes in with, with two doves carrying the Lamb of God, and he, with laser focus, goes right to them. And he says to them, may I hold your baby. And I picture Simeon taking the Christ child and holding him to himself and taking a deep breath of the essence of this child. And something within him begins to spark. And he begins to recognize as he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Now, I am a grandfather, so I understand a little bit about something about Christmas lists. I have to imagine that Simeon's Christmas list was wrapped up in one thing, just let me hold you. 
the child. Just let me see the child. And as he takes Jesus in his hands, he begins to recognize that there's nothing else in life that can ever match this moment of time. Nothing can bring greater joy than meeting Jesus. As I've done a little study on Simeon, if my chronology is correct, and I'm correct in assuming that he was an old man, maybe in his 80s, as Anna, who was described in this chapter, would also mean that Simeon was just a little boy. In 63 B.C., when General Pompey surrounded the city and destroyed much of it, killing many of its residents, Simeon as a child survived, but he never thought what that crushing blow to the Jewish people was like, and he always lived with the hope that one day things were going to change as God sent a Messiah. This day, as he's holding this baby and he's breathing in the essence of this child, he recognizes that our God is not just a God who makes promises. He's a God who keeps promises. And the one thing that Christmas does is celebrate the faithfulness of God. I look around this room, and many of you I know, and I know that your testimony today would be, my God is faithful. My God is faithful. One of my favorite songs is by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. It's called, He is Faithful. Faithful to me. This morning as I was listening to it again, I wrote this down. And tell me if this doesn't describe many of you. In my moments of fear, through every pain and every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength is all gone, when my heart has no song, still enough, He's proved faithful to me, and every word He has promised is true. And what I thought was impossible, I've seen my God do. He's been faithful, faithful to me. Looking back, His love and mercy I see. Though in my heart I have questioned, even failed to believe, He's been faithful, faithful to me. How many of you could sing that with all of your heart today? What a faithful God we serve today. And Simeon will testify to that notice. And what he says of this baby is he's holding him and he proclaims, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Stop right there for a moment. This is important theologically. Simeon calls this baby, as he's breathing in the essence of this child, as he, he sniffs the hair of Jesus, and he says, mine eyes have seen God's salvation. Now, I want you to picture that this is all being done in Hebrew, in a Hebrew temple, which means that Simeon would have spoke Hebrew, and he would have held Jesus up, and he would have said, Yeshua. Yeshua. That's the name of Jesus. Yeshua. You will call his name Yeshua, for he will save the people from their sins. Now think about this. Mine eyes have seen your salvation. He is telling you something. Salvation is not something you do. That needs to be heard from somebody today. You have struggled so hard and you've worked so hard to make your life pleasing to God. You need to know salvation is not what you do. Salvation is someone you know. 
Salvation is someone you know. Salvation is a person. It's somebody that you can get to know today. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Luke tells us in Acts 4.12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So this little baby, God wrapped in flesh, is God's gift to you. You have received and opened that gift. If you have not, then today may very well be the day that changes not only your life, but your eternity. And you look at verse 32, and Simeon says, A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. Well, who are the Gentiles? All of us that aren't Jewish are Gentiles. I'm always fascinated when I have conversations with people and I talk to them about Christianity, how many people have told me, well, Christianity is a, it's a Western religion. First, they don't know their history. They certainly don't know their geography. But we're about talking about something that happened in the Middle East. It's, and it's not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not something for a group of people. It's something for all people. And he said, mine eyes have seen my salvation. And then lastly, he makes a prediction. Verses 33 to 35, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own heart. In other words, this baby is going to be the most loved and the most hated person in the history of mankind. There will never be somebody who is more loved or more hated. Don't you find that true today? Jesus is the most hated and the most loved individual all at the same time. This week I was in the stores and I had a conversation with two different people. Number one, when anybody says to me, Happy Holidays, I always say, Well, Merry Christmas to you too. I discovered that one of the individuals I've spoken to, when I said, Merry Christmas, they said, Oh, praise God. <laughs> Another individual, when they said, Well, Happy Holidays, I said, And Merry Christmas to you too. They said, I don't celebrate Christmas. And I said, I'm so sorry that you're missing out on the joy of Jesus. Well, I don't believe in him. And I thought instantaneously, we live in a community where Jesus is the most loved and the most hated. We're seeing it spelled out right before our eyes. And Simeon predicted that. Someone once said, worship team, please come. Someone once said, Christmas is God coming down the stairs of heaven with a baby in his arms. For Simeon, Christian, Christmas was him holding in his own arms the baby Jesus and receiving for himself the Lord Jesus. It could be that some of you, like Simeon, have waited a long time for the consolation of salvation. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you have tried everything and everything has fallen flat. Every experience doesn't satisfy. You're still living with your past and the burden of your own sin. Salvation has come, I get to declare to you today. God's consolation has come, and His name is Jesus. And He didn't come to be a baby. He, come to, he came to grow up and to die on a cross 
that will bring you consolation and bring you salvation. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus on a personal level today, then I'm going to invite you to join in that relationship with me today. I'm going to ask that all of you would join me and stand. And I'm going to lead us all in the sinner's prayer. And I'm going to ask that you would repeat after me. So for those of you that do not know him, if you will pray this prayer with all of your heart and believe it, then today will be the day where the consolation of Israel and the salvation of mankind can become your Christmas gift as well. Would you bow your heads with me and repeat after me? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your Son. I believe that He died for my sin and that you raised Him to life. I want to trust Him as my Savior and follow Him as my Lord from this day forward. Guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask if our lights would be turned down. I'm going to ask if you would take out your candles and that you would turn them on as we prepare to sing together Silent Night.
Father and our God, what a day of celebration. Our salvation is here in a person named Jesus Christ. And as we get caught up in everything and all of the activities that go on around us, may today we remember that He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And for those today that said that prayer with true belief in their heart, maybe for the very first time, today is the day that their names are being recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. And all of heaven is celebrating because one that was lost has now been found. That is the reason for this season. So may we go with joy in our hearts, joy in our words, and a smile on our face. For Jesus Christ has come, and He is our Savior and our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.